It looks great. From here, anyway, it looks beautiful. It's nice to impress your father-in-law. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. Keep that thought, son. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think since we're running a little behind and, you know, Rick's sitting by himself, we should just bless you, Lord, for the food and for the land. Amen. Amen. And Joshua, I can't wait to share some of the things that you've read this week. No, that I've read this <laughs> right. week. Yeah, the uh, weird mind meld thing. That's right. right. <laughs> um, yes, no, the, the, this week, speaking about things I hadn't seen before, um, or, uh, one thing jumped out at me this week, uh, kind of a su- uh, surprise, was the order of something that the servant, Eli- what we traditionally know as Eliezer, was saying. Um, but first I'm going to ask Micah, Micah, when you ask God for something, do you believe that he'll do it? There we go. That's a great answer. That's the answer you should be giving. You have to think about that a minute. But I appreciate the fact that he said yes. um, Because that's really what the servant does here. And that stood out to me. If we go to chapter 24, I believe, verse 23. Verse 23? Verse 23. Let's set the context. Um, They're actually in verse uh, 21 and 22. So the context, uh, the servants come... He's asked God for a sign. He said, I want you to, um, the woman who comes out, I will say, give me a drink. And who says, I will um, give you a drink and also water your camels. May she be the one for Isaac. What's interesting is that he doesn't, it's really fascinating to me. He doesn't say, may the one who who I say, give me a drink. May she say, may she give me, I also water your camels. He doesn't say that. Because his concern is not so much that she would be generous, it's part of the concern, um, and hospitable, but his main concern is that she would be part of Abraham's family. This always happens. What did you, you forget? There's a phone in the crevice, as I am told. Yeah, I got one. I got a winner! I got a winner! I know. Yeah. Um, that was a mitzvah. I found it and I gave it back. Yeah, if you had pawned that thing and just kind of stuck it in your pocket, that would have spoken volumes about the guy who was leading our discussion. So, so a little bit further underneath the, the couch, got, no, I got nothing. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. We got to do the right thing. So um, the servant here, he is looking and he's concerned because he wants to find things related to Abraham. That's the goal from the family. And so his, his prayer to God is not necessarily just that the woman would be hospitable, but also that she would be the right stock. He doesn't want the hospitable woman to turn out to be a Canaanite, because that's not who he's allowed to bring back as the wife for Isaac. So, he's, so he, invite, he asks Rebecca, can you give me some water? She does it. She goes. She, she's filling up the uh, troughs for the camels, just like he prayed. Um, so he it says in verse 21, the man was astonished at her reflecting silently to know whether Adonai had made his journey successful or not. So pause there for a second. He's, he's, he's paced. She's doing exactly what he was praying for. But he's not sure yet if she's the right woman. But then the next verse, and it was, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a golden nose ring, and its weight was a becca, and two bracelets on her arms. Ten gold shekels was their weight. And he said, whose daughter are you? Rashi astutely points out the order is all wrong in this passage he should have said whose daughter are you oh good you're a family member here are the rings here's all the jewelry because you're the one but rashi argues that his faith was so strong that hashem answered his prayer that before he even asked her whose daughter are you he goes ahead and assumes she must be the one now i think that is amazing no question about it but when i read it at least in this version I I saw it almost like having he's he's, he's, got, he's got all this stuff in his hands. Uh, and who's doing right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, there is one way. There is one 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 way to look at it. I, I thought about that too. But then the funny thing is, later on when he tells the story to the family, he gets the he reverses the order. Right. It's one of the times when he retells the story that he actually intentionally redoes the facts. Because I think he realizes it would be very confusing to have given the jewelry to the woman before he knew if she was the right one. Right, right. So the, I think that's one reason why Rashi really is arguing that his, he's acting on faith here. I thought that was so cool because it's not to say necessarily, you know, we, I think some people can take that too far 
and almost be like, well, I asked God for that it would, um, <clears throat> you know, be sunny today. So even though it's pouring rain outside, I'm leaving my umbrella at home because I just believe it's going to be sunny. And so maybe that's not the wisest move. But <clears throat> what's important is that he had asked God for a sign. God answered him by letting the sign play out just like he'd asked. And so he simply believed that God, who had started the process, was going to finish it like he had asked. And the sages are big to point out that, that this is a major thing for Abraham. Right. That Abraham specifically gave him this challenge and so forth. And he mentions today, you know, I, I got here today and so forth. And, and the sages are like, it's a 17-day journey. Oh, right. And he did it in a day. Right. You know, and this is the miracle of Eliezer, that God blessed his, his task because of God's friend, Abraham. Right. There's so much going on here. It's, it's amazing. Right. By the way, um, just to lift up my son-in-law, that would be this, well, he's the only one here. <laughs> that would be that guy there. Um, we were looking at uh, how many people in the Bible pray when kneeling. It turns out there's there's not a lot of, of men who pray while they're kneeling. It's a Jewish habit to stand in the presence of the Almighty, and that's the norm. And as Joshua pointed out on Tuesday night, either last Tuesday night or the Tuesday night before, there are some men, Solomon for one, uh, and, and a couple others, Daniel, who deliberately prayed kneeling, and, and Joshua you know, pointed out to us that, that it was because it was a big deal. It was something special, momentous, if you will. And I noticed that and thought about you this week that I was reading through, um, that he seems to be standing. The, the camels are kneeling. <laughs> right. We're not counting the camels, but so, so the camels are kneeling. He's standing, and he says, just a, a quick point, that prayer in Judaism is out loud. You, know, you, you don't pray to yourself, necessarily. He said... And when he, had finished, when he had not yet finished speaking, so he's doing this out loud. And when, uh, when he saw that she was the girl, verse 26 of the same chapter, the man knelt and prostrated himself to God. And then the next verse is his prayer. Mm -hmm. So to your point, we didn't mention this one because I think we missed it. Mm -hmm. um, Eliezer kneels and prays to God. And I think to your point, it's because it's such a momentous thing. This guy is without a doubt just praising God because he made God made his trip successful for his for his master Abraham. And uh, the sages go so far as to say this is the proof that one should give thanks when one receives good news, because that's exactly how he responds. Exactly, it's pretty cool. Well, I had a little different on, on that where he talks about whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Because when he talks to Abraham, Abraham says he will send and take a wife. But if she's not willing to follow you. Right. So I took the whether or not it's prosperous. Okay, yes. The Lord took me to the right woman at the right moment, and she did all the things I asked. But even Abraham didn't know if she'd come back with me. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see. Is my journey prosperous? Yes, I accomplished this end of the task, but getting her back to Isaac... Maybe I didn't. And he kind of seems to have some of that, um, not anxiety is the right word, uncertainty or later on because he's like, I'm not even going to eat and tell you what I'm here for, you know. And then at the end of it, he, he like forces a reaction from them. He says, tell me, good or bad, one way or the other, just let me know so that I know what I should do next. Um, but I think even, even with that, it still to me is amazing that he, he pulls the jewels out, the jewelry out before he knows who she is. I really feel like he, he just, to me, I think, I like, uh, you know, the, the story that goes on here, Eliezer, in the, assuming it is Eliezer, um, should, this is a, this is kind of a highlight story. I mean, you have the, the miraculous journey. So as you pointed out, it's supposed to be a 17-day journey. It takes one day. Um, this he happens. Said, he said today. Today. What are you talking about? This happens in, uh, traditionally, they do the math in the marching through the wilderness, same thing when they're getting from uh, Mount Sinai, I think, to the edge of the land. It's also supposed to be like a 10-day journey. They do it in three. Um, then there's, uh, um, but even in a, in, a, in a more modern context, I think it's um, uh, the Baal Shem Tov, traditionally, like, he would go walking on, like, mountains and things. And 
wherever there was like a crevice or whatnot, the earth would just fill itself for him, you know, so he could just yeah. keep going. Right. Um, but the point is that like it's a sign, uh, it's a miraculous sign of, of like God's eagerness and favor and whatnot. And um, to your, as you're saying, like this, this mission, it's a critical mission that he's on. But then he asks for a sign. And I feel like that's, a, that's something Rabbi Gimpel teaches, that's something that righteous men should do. Not so much because they need proof, but more because they want to give God an opportunity to, to show off. Yeah. They want to almost not challenge God in the sense, but it's more like it's like um, to use a baseball analogy. It's like it's like throwing a softball pitch. You know, like you're 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 kind of throwing it up there because you want to see just how far and how hard they can hit the ball. Right. And it's kind of the same idea. It's like by by offering asking God for a sign it, with the right heart. Um, and that's why I believe Eliezer had faith here with the right heart. Then you're giving God a chance to act in a way that's demonstrable that you can share. Whereas other people, like Consistent see, with his character. What? Consistent with his character. Right, right. And, and notice that Eliezer specifically ties it into the circumstance. He's not like, and if it's a right woman, may a black bird fly over at this time, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but he ties it specifically into the situation. This contrasts with someone, um, I mean, and he's of course a righteous dude, but the mistake that he made, Zechariah, with John, you know, the angel's there. Angel's saying, you're going to have a baby. And he's like, how can I know this is true? And it's like, I think the guy glowing and on fire that's in a room where you were alone probably was evidence enough that that's probably going to happen. Um, and so that lack of faith is a, is a fault on his part. Eliezer is, um, he's a pretty top shelf dude. Well, you know, if he was trying to convince Rebecca, what better way, before she goes home to her family and they tell her <laughs> yeah. no, look at this jewelry. Yeah, I wonder this if she's going to win This is some really impressive jewelry that you have. to say on. that's what got Lamont. Mm-hmm. Well, he, it yeah. says, he, he's like, he's noticing that's a really big nose ring and that's some gold on your arms. Yeah. 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 You know, the, uh, I don't think we, we need to question whether it was Eliezer. I, I, you know, it's obvious his name is not here. But earlier, it's, it was clear that Eliezer was the head of his household and the one who was going to inherit everything. Mm-hmm. And it was Abraham who said that. You know, and his most tru- most trusted servant. Um, so, when he said to his servant, the senior member of his house, um, I think we can, like the sages, just kind of assume it's Eliezer. And you know, I think I think everybody's there. I saw something for the first time. Okay. Um, in sh- and we can go anywhere in the passage. Right? Well, you gave us that permission a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I'm jumping on that. I'm just repeating it now. Um, Twenty four ten. Um, the servant took ten camels from his master's stock of muzzled camels, as, as opposed to your non-muzzled camels, I wouldn't bring that right. either. And he left. In his hand was all his master's belongings. And I never noticed that, how, how's that work? This a really long, large bag. Holy cow, <laughs> yeah, right? But the sages say, Abraham just wrote out his will. And left everything to his son, so that Eliezer could say, "My master's already given his everything. Here it is." So that uh, that was cool. I never I never realized that that would be a a, a good fix to it. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, going back a little bit to the very beginning here, uh, chapter twenty three stood out to me this time um, repeatedly when Abraham is negotiating for the burial place for Sarah. Hmm. Um, Oh, as he, well, back, back up. First off, while he's talking to them, he refers to himself as a ger and a teshav. I think my dad read the passage this morning. Um, and there is a vav there, so it's two different words in this case. But the ger teshav, a, con, a conjoined phrase, um, is used in, throughout the Torah as referencing kind of people like us, people who live amongst the people of Israel. Um, it sometimes is uh, translated convert because Judaism is not really sure exactly what they would do with these people because they're part of the faith, kind of, but they're obviously not Jewish. Um, we have our own explanation for that, but um, and uh, and Abraham refers to himself with that language because he's saying, I, "I live among you, and I'm a stranger. I don't. I'm not one of you." Um, and then later on, with Eliezer, uh, Rashi points out that Eliezer's story is told twice. He repeats the whole thing, and they're like, "This no, it's not. It's not Rashi who says this. It was one of the other sages. This was a um, what a you know what an incredible amount of love that God has." For the patriarchs, that the servants of the patriarchs, and Eliezer is not even Hebrew, um, are given more text space uh, 
for their words than you know he mitzvot in the Torah. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the most important mitzvot mitzvot in the Torah um, are pretty short, pretty simple, with the exception of the tabernacle. Uh, one verse here, one verse there, whatever. Two verses here, two verses there. And Eliezer gets his entire story told twice. And um, this reminds me, to me, I, the, so the sages take this as like how God loves the patriarchs. I was seeing it more as God's love for the stranger. Because this reminds me of one of the only other times that an entire account is told twice, almost verbatim, maybe even told three times, and that is Peter's dream where he goes to meet Cornelius. Romans. And it's so weird because we, we watch the entire story and then we read all about how Peter tells the whole thing. And then later, like a couple chapters later, he references it, not the whole thing again, but he references it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very clear that in the scriptures that God was highlighting that to say that this is very important. That's um, and in this case, even though I don't, it's not the same significance, it does kind of feel that way. We do read that you know God takes care of the stranger. He cares about the stranger. And it's neat to me that one of the most famous and righteous strangers in the Bible gets to have such a lengthy um, dialogue in the scriptures recorded for us. I was uh, this year reading one of the little gray boxes in my Bible, and uh, it was talking about Isaac and how he was, you know, top shelf. And, you know, some of them saying he had reached such high spirituality level and so forth. Um, yeah, traditionally they'd say that he's. Um, one of the people who so mastered his Yetzirah that he, which, which again, just to translate, Yetzirah is um, evil inclination, but really what that's saying is it's the flesh. It's your right. fleshly desires, right. which are not always inherently bad, but left unrestrained are. Um, they teach that Isaac was one who had mastered them to the point where um, he would use like his appetite and whatever else all for God. Right. And they remind us that he's the first Jew in all of history who was circumcised on the eighth day. Oh yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. And that was just the start. And then what you said, he just maxed out. So I, I never realized, you know, we hear, we hear the circumcision story with Abraham and with Ishmael, mm-hmm. who was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but Isaac's the, the first one. Mm-hmm. On the eighth day, that's pretty cool. Very cool. We um, went back to chapter twenty-three. We have this uh, um, account here of Abraham negotiating, so to speak, with Ephron over the field and the cave. And uh, this passage gets quoted by the sages as being uh, the. Um, the righteous say little and do much, and the wicked say much and nothing. And Ephron gets dinged because he repeatedly says, it's a gift for you. Take it as a gift. Here's how much it costs. Here's how much it costs, but even still, it's a gift for you. What is that between us? You know, whatever. And Abraham finally gives him the money. And it's interesting that if you read the stage's commentary, they don't really critique the words that Ephron says. It's when they get to the end, and it says Abraham gave him the price for it, and it's like, see, what a snake. You know, if he really had given it as a gift, it would have been a gift. Um, and I thought about this because, you know, I think that uh, what, it reminds me of Yeshua's words, you know, like, yes, be yes, be no, be no. Ephron didn't have to give him the, the field. But once he had given it to him, he had an obligation then to fulfill that those words. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because the account reminds me a little bit of, you know, modern diplomacy. And we try very hard to be polite and to offer people, you know, um, does anyone else want this last piece of chicken? You know, that kind of thing. And it's fine to be polite, but the reason why we're polite is because being polite means to, to be the second person. If someone else goes, I would like that piece of chicken. Well, I have offered it. I am supposed to stand down and let mm-hmm. someone take it. You know, and it's that idea of, um, you know, meaning what you say. And if you're not committed to that, if that's too much to say, then you can make offers without promising things. You know, Ephron here, um, if he had said, you know, I, um, if, let me let me give it to you as a gift, Abraham refuses. Okay, fine, I'll, you know, here's what it cost. 
that would have been different from, oh yeah, you can have it. You can definitely have it. All right. <laughs> Good deal. You know, and it's kind of like, I feel like we just need to be careful in the words that we use and how we say things because being polite is good, but, but, being, but it's also important to be honest. We don't need to be blunt, but it's like there's that, there's that balance of trying to find a way to speak the truth and, and be gracious. And unfortunately, Efron fails here. Yes, sir. The, uh, I mean, I'm really glad that um, Abraham didn't take Efron up on his offer. Me too. Right. Because, of the, because we have proof now in Scripture of three times that three very important places and we have a deed with money that shows the exchange. <clears throat> so no one can say, hey, look, our ancestors gave this as a gift to you, and now we're taking it back. Right. Instead, Jews rightly, and unfortunately, they don't do this, they can rightly stand up and say, Hebron is ours. 100%, you leave, we bought. <laughs> right. you know, uh, the tomb of uh, uh, Shechem is ours. 100%, we bought it, you leave, it's ours. And when they look at the Temple Mount, they say, we bought it. Our ancestor bought this 100%. If you agreed to the deal, your ancestors agreed to the deal, you're out. Tear down that abomination <laughs> and leave. Right. I, that's exactly where I was coming from. I, I, I understand what you're saying and agree with you. Uh, and the sages are cool with that. But I look at verse 12 and 13, and I'm almost drawn back to the king of Sodom. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, hey, let's split the spoils. No, 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 no. You're not going to give me a dime, buddy. <laughs> Nobody's going to be able to say they made me rich because God's doing that. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's almost the same thing exactly. here. You're not listening to me. I want to pay for it. I want to know it's mine, and I don't want you to get any credit whatsoever <laughs> for being a nice guy. Love you, mean it. Sell it. And he owns it. And, and we've got that in writing. And actually, his relationship with Ephron, I, 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 I believe his relationship with Ephron was better because he purchased Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody wants to give you something, and you realize it's a very expensive thing, and you offer to buy it from them. There's going to be peace. It's going to be great. And you're not going to be indebted to the person right. with them having given you something that's overwhelmingly. I don't, but I don't think it was a matter of pride for Abraham. I don't think no, it was I'm like, I'm not going to take anything from no. you. I think it was the opposite. I think, he, I think he knows he's living in a land where he's a stranger, and he doesn't want there to be any problem. Right. Well, I think also, I wrote about this um, or previously. Uh, the topic has come up to me. Going back to what you said, David, um, if you read that passage from David, the, the threshing floor guy who owns it says, no, 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 just go ahead. You can, you can have it. And oh, by the way, here's some oxen of mine. You know, you're the king, offer the sacrifice, totally fine with me. And, he won't do and it. David refuses, but his explanation, I think, is quite important. I think it stands out here. David says, I will not make a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Right. And I think that that's part of Abraham. Abraham says, I'm not going to bury my wife at your expense. That's right. right. Abraham, it's not even really, I don't think it's so much about Ephron. I don't, even, I don't think it's really as much about the uh, citizens of Canaan. Abraham wants to buy the tomb right. for Sarah. Yep. He yep. wants to make a sacrifice for her, even if it's unnecessary, because in his mind, it's about honoring his dead wife. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because I think that sometimes, you know, we can, um, there are those times when we have to make uh, sacrifices or do something, and it's like, you know what? Uh, it, it, it reminds me, and not to say that you always have to buy the nicest and most expensive one, but it's kind of like the Judaism teaches this idea of like beautifying the mitzvot, you know, I'm gonna go buy the etrog, let's go buy the expensive one, you know, like this idea of like... It's not a waste. It's not a waste, even though it may not necessarily be all that much better or whatever else, you making a sacrifice to God, because if you think about it, like, like from a practical perspective, the sacrifices to God are a waste. God doesn't need your meat. That's right. He doesn't need anything that you're giving to him and it would seem like it's a, it's a waste of resources but rather it's about you making the sacrifice it's about you expressing that uh, God is important enough that it's he's worthy of you losing something for his behalf and I think that's what Abraham is trying to say here he's trying to honor Sarah yeah I agree, I agree. It, had you read anything about this whole Machpelah word Means double or something. Thing? Yeah, it's it's it, according to the sages, it's undisputed. 
All the commentaries agree Machpelah means double. So what's the deal? Is Machpelah the cave, and therefore it's a two-story cave? Or is it the field? Or is it the area that the field is in, which has, by the way, a cave? That kind of thing. And they go back and forth and back and forth. And, it, you know, if, if you're interested, you know, my Bible's right here. You just you can grab off the shelf. Um, but I, I thought the interesting thing was that uh, when they're all done talking about all of that, they said, yeah, it's, it, it was now used as a double tomb right. for both Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca. And oh, by the way, did you know that Adam and Eve were moved there? <laughs> and you're like, I didn't know that. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a cool deal, that whole double. And I, I, never, I didn't even know there was controversy over yeah. what, what was double. Was it this, the field, the cave, the house that was on the field? You know. I can't believe that Adam and Eve Moving from spot. Right. <laughs> the tomb of, of uh, Adam and Eve is in spot. Yes. I've actually seen the, the, the tomb location. They, um, uh, yeah, although I, I can believe that the Adam and Eve were there at that point only because Abraham specifically points out this cave. There's something about the cave. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. wants that cave. That. I mean, he kind of generically says, I need a burial place. And then the, 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 the sons of Het, Het you guys are got gracious enough here. to say, take anything you want, whatever you want. And he's like, okay, I want that one. Mm. Which is a little unusual. Yeah. Um, but he specifically calls out. And to your point earlier, I think the significance of it stands out on purpose because uh, it is, in my mind, borderline bizarre that the three places that Jews bought are all currently controlled by Arabs, basically. They're all in territory claimed by Arabs. Mm. You know, and I know the Arabs claim all of it, but it's a little bit different here. It's like these areas are hot spots that they have specifically um, purposefully. purposefully claimed as theirs. And actually, Jewish... The Jewish government, the Israeli government, has purposefully given it to them. Instead Every of, one of those places, they have permitted them overtly to take control. And they have provided military That's right. presence to make sure. Hebron is a, well, I mean, the all, of it, all of it makes you mad. But, you know, every one of them, it's just like the Israeli court, almost like it's almost in your face. Yeah. We are intentionally going to forbid Jews but from going. The Temple Mount, it's not Arab officers that are stopping the Jews Israeli. from going up to Israel. Israeli. It's Israeli. You know, and if you listen to... Uh, Hebron, same What's his name? Um, Rabbi Gimpel's journey up there, you know, to in order to deliberately pray and violate the law. You know, he was, he was saying to the cop, I know you got to, you know, as, as the guy's dragging him off the mount and, and lifting him up off his knees, he said, I, I, I know you, I know you got to do this. I know it's your job. I get it. It's all right. I got to do this. It's my job. So, it's a remark. It's a remarkable evil, and that's why it's important when we read it that we remember it's mm -hmm. an evil. It's mm -hmm. intentional. Well, that's what I think is so interesting is how uh, obvious it is. I love repeatedly got this passage that says in Abraham in the in the in the, in the, in the sight of the, all the sons of Heth over and over again. This was a public transaction. Was a deal done in Abraham's tent, and afterwards there's dispute over what how it went out. Um, and it reminds me that there are times, you know, we were talking earlier about starlight, and um, uh, even if you say that God's not intentionally trying to um, hide, it does kind of feel like God, is, it's almost like he is um, asking for us to make the effort to go find him. He's not, he's not as overt, but sometimes... You have to seek to find. So seek to find, but sometimes... God is extremely overt yeah. when he wants to make a point. And I think it's important that you know, this one, it's clear. Who owns it? Was a negotiation done in public? Mount Sinai? God comes down in the sight of the entire nation of Israel. This is what happened. And he tells them, it's one of the six remembrances. Don't forget this one. In the rest of your life, all your children's lives, remember, God met you at Sinai. And I think that really stands out because if you think about the other major religions and they're like, I mean, so many of their uh, events and their claiming of things, it's all done in secret, you know? God didn't grab Moses and hand him some gold plates in the middle of nowhere. He didn't, uh, he didn't take him into a cave and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation for, you know, a few, uh, few years, then pull him back in the cave and, and change everything he said last time for the new version, um, you know, and then each time to send him out and say, okay, you go talk to everybody. Uh, you know, the, 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 the claim that the, the Muslims have towards the Temple Mount is that, um, or one of the claims, not the, not the whole thing, the Western Wall, um, 
is that this is where, you know, Muhammad tied his flying horse when he went to heaven. Because that was a public event that everybody saw. Um, <laughs> the only witness was a donkey. I know, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, it's just, when God wants to make it clear about something, he does it. And I think that's so impressive because um, other religions take solace and support from things done in secret. Because no one can challenge it. But God does it overtly. When when Yeshua resurrected from the dead, what does what does Paul say? Hundreds of people saw him afterwards. Kind of hard to argue with that one. Not only that, but when he comes, every eye will see, every tongue will confess, every knee shall bow. It's not like it's hidden. It's going to be wide open and in your face. And that's actually Yeshua's point. Yeshua says, "All these people are going to come after me, saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. Don't listen to them." Because I'm not going to be in a room hidden away somewhere. When when I come back, you will all know that I'm back. I think that's really cool. Like I said, it stands out because other the other religions they have to do everything secretly, but when God when it's important to God, God makes it overt. You know, Joshua, you mentioned the coming of the especially sign. important, I should say. And uh, there was one one point in here I had never thought about. Abraham sent Eliezer to fetch. Rivka, at the earliest opportunity, as soon as she had reached marriageable age. And I thought to myself, well, how does he know that? And then I thought, I've got all kinds of nieces and nephews. I know exactly when they were born. I know exactly when they'll be of marriageable age, even though those nieces and nephews don't necessarily live anywhere near me. Eliezer's miracle, where his journey was miraculously shortened, allowing him to complete a 17-day journey in one day, thus spared Rivka from spending an additional 17 days in an atmosphere of idol worship. <laughs> I never thought about that. But then it's the next line that caused me to remember this. From this, we can be assured of the speed with which God will send Mashiach, saving the Jewish people from even an additional moment in exile. You know what it says in the, was it Paul and Thessalonians? And if the days had not been cut short? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there might no flesh be saved. But or for the sake Yeshua of the elect. Said Yeshua said Yeah, you're right. But for the sake of the elect. Right. That's very cool. shall be cut short. Which actually is very much like what we see in um, the exile of Egypt. Because traditionally, if you look at the math, God says to be slaves for 400 years. You do the math, and it's like, well, it's only like maybe 250 years, 200 years, something like that. And that seems off. But then the sages do all these, you know, mathematical games by looking at like, well, but Isaac's actually Abraham's son, and he lives in a strange land. If you start counting from there, it's 400 years. Well, one of the views that I've read is that that was God's mercy. God could have left them in Egypt for 400 years, but instead, he's the... Um, not that he decides, but so to speak, but he chooses to count yeah. the previous time to reduce the amount of suffering that the people of Israel go through. Um, and I think it's significant because, you know, when when hard things happen, sometimes it feels like God doesn't care. But those types of accounts are to remind us that it's all specifically for a reason. And he doesn't let us leave us in a place longer than we can we can handle it. Well, it's, her family wanted to keep her longer. <laughs> they did. Yeah, I mean, my, my scripture says days. The one we read earlier said years, yeah, months. One, one year, or a minimum, let's go at least 10 months. She's and only 14. Can we wait 10 years? <laughs> and the, the, um, my commentary said, uh, kind of alluded to, um, what's her name in Purim? Esther. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Esther. How she was, she had that prep time, mm -hmm. you know, with all the cosmetics and whatnot for a year right. or something like that, 10 months to a year. And, and they allude to that to say, well, it's kind of normal. I mean, you gotta, you got to give the bride her time. But as we saw with Laban later, maybe yeah. maybe Abraham's like, yeah. yeah, you get her, you go. Yeah, send, <laughs> send some more jewels right. yeah. you know, over the next several months. Yeah. So Laban delayed the leaving later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Uh, what's your price? Come mm -hmm. on. Stay a little longer. Yeah. A little bit more, but no. Well, are we moving on? Oh, yeah. I just had an interesting thought today, because we were looking at it. If Keturah, and I'm not sure, but if she oh, yeah. happens to be Hagar, she was not a young woman at this point either. True. I mean, I'm thinking about Abraham and Sarah and how they were to have kids and all that stuff, and mm -hmm. I'm thinking, 
if Couture is Hagar, mm. this has got to be, what, she's 60, 70? Right, right. <laughs> she's she's getting up there to have six more kids. Right. So it's just an interesting idea that I hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. no, the, the, in, in this, uh, in the Gutnik, uh, they're, you know, obviously lifting up the patriarchs and the matriarchs, and they mentioned that, well, she got renamed mm -hmm. because she did Teshuva. Because just like Abraham had these 318 guys and was teaching everybody about the Lord, so did Sarah, and therefore Hagar, Egyptian, kind of came under the faith and got renamed as Keturah. I had never heard that this, until this year as well, but that could be a cool deal, but to your point, wow. Well, I mean, if, if you're the one who sees God, I think that would be yeah. quite yeah. an effect on you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But Ishmael also repents. We get that at the end of the parasha. In fact, this parasha is interesting. I had noticed this year, I hadn't noticed it before, that they do the weird age counting thing three times. He, you know, Sarah was 120 and 7. And Abraham was 170 and 5. But they do the same thing with Ishmael. And the sages point this out. They're like, this is weird. Because for Abraham and Sarah, they highlight this is a symbol of how righteous they were. How like when they were a hundred when Abraham was hundred years old, it was as though he was just the same person as when he was seventy as when he was five. You know, he was innocent and godly, just kind of naturally came to him, and he was just a good guy all the time. And um, you know, Sarah's consistent life always was goodly, godly throughout her life. Um, so Ishmael, they're like, wait a minute, that's not true. We know that Ishmael has issues. So how do we explain this? And they say Teshuva, that his repentance was so complete. It erased all of the sins in his past. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty cool. And they, they mm -hmm. further base Ishmael's repentance on the fact that he lets Isaac, the younger of the two sons, his name goes first. go first in the burial of Abraham. Yeah. And they and then I thought this is so cool. I think it was Rashi that points this out. says that, and this is why it said, because Ishmael repented, this is why it says that Abraham dies at a good old age. You know, he dies satisfied and content because his sons both are both sons. godly. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Hmm. Well, he does send the other ones away, though. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. He learned that lesson with Ishmael already. So. He sent them eastward, so they kept moving further and further away. There wasn't a lack of love, though, for them. Mm. It was simply a matter of guaranteeing the inheritance of his first natural son. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have one more thing I saw this year. Okay. I'm, re I'm reminded of when we're reading, it's either Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Numbers or something like that. Somewhere in the Torah where if something touches the altar, no, right, it's, it's totally kosher. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's set apart. Yeah. Um, and the sages mentioned that that happened to Isaac. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. During the Akeda, he's on that altar. He's going to be an Olah. Mm. That whether or not you believe that he actually died and God raised him from the dead or just God provided the ram right before the knife went mm -hmm. um, either way he was bound and on the altar and would therefore from that point forward be set apart yeah mm -hmm. I, I think that's just great yeah and it's the whole, the whole concept of you know he's the one that never leaves the land right so you've got mm -hmm. Abraham went to Egypt and you've got Jacob who goes to live with Laban out in the land of Canaan, but Isaac doesn't leave. You know, and as far as we can tell, neither did the master. Really? I don't think he did. When did he? To go. Although you could claim that I guess that that is technically part of Israel. Sidon was part of Solomon's Israel. So, but anyway, yeah, I just thought it was neat that you know what a, what a concept. Yeah, the guy was on the altar, and where's that altar? Where, where's the spot where right. he did that? The spot. That's mm -hmm. the spot. That's the Temple Mount. That's that's the that's the, that. Well, that's it. You know, that's wow. That's I cool. had never seen that. Before. I had made that like, connection. I've heard the tradition that like he can't leave because he was an offering, but I had never thought about the altar. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, because now he's he's holy. He's holy. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Can yeah. you imagine marrying a guy yeah. who is known as holy? We'll have to eat yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it. <laughs> or kill you. One of the two. Any other 
thoughts from this this week's portion. Um, I noticed that, of course, Isaac comes from a well. Mr. Upham's not here, so he can't expound. Oh, right, yeah. Um, in more detail there. What? Yes. Oh, right. Yeah, and the tradition is uh, that um, he comes out of the well because he's resurrecting from the dead from his, you know, uh, from the, the Akita. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then we kind of get that alluded to in the book of Hebrews and whatnot. Well, I thought it was interesting that the well was associated with resurrection from the dead because this is actually not the first time in the book of Genesis that we've gotten the well associated with resurrection as I think it was Micah that points out, or maybe it was Josiah last, last time, um, talking about the king of Sodom falls into a bitumen well right, right, right. and then gets out again. Was it you, Joshua? Oh, I'm sorry. I went through all the guys here. <laughs> um, uh, mentioned that he falls into a bitumen well and he gets out again. And how did he get out? And tradition holds that it was a miracle. Right. And it kind of has a resurrection feel to it, you know. Um, He's as good as dead. Right, right. And actually, the, 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 well, the well as a symbol of rejuvenation, restoration, resurrection, I think is, is not such a bad one because we also get it with uh, the story of Isaac in next week's parasha, with all these wells. Right. We have to redig them. Um, but it's, like, it's almost like it's, like it's like he's bringing back Abraham. Abraham's dead, and all his wells are, are full. And I have to go back and re reopen them again. And, and he renames them the same as his father. Right, name. right. And then Joseph is thrown in a, in a dry well, um, which is almost kind of like, he's supposed to die. It's a miracle he doesn't die down there. Um, and, and so it's like, and Jacob goes to uh, meet with, um, he goes to find Rachel and Leah. He comes across a well, and he pushes the big stone off the front, right. and everyone kind of freaks out like, whoa. Well, that reminds me of you know Yeshua's tomb, you know, moving the stone out of the way, big strong guy, and and actually for Jacob it is something of a resurrection moment because he's um, he has no wealth, he he has nothing to give, and he's essentially starting over here. Um, Moses meets the women at the well again. He's kind of a savior point, uh, a point for them to protect them, and it also offers like a, a, an opportunity, a restart in his life. You see a new change in and, his life. And the master meets the woman at the well right. and restarts her life and the whole town. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was, and that's what actually the reason why I was thinking about all the different meanings of wells was that story because... I am the resurrection of life. Right. He's, he is tying in who he is like to this idea of wells. And I had not really thought about a well being linked to resurrection or restoration or whatever um, before. Uh, but I think that that's a, a good way to connect him. You know, liberals would go out there and be like, well, Yeshua met the woman at the well because apparently you meet women at wells. You know, it's like, what? Come on. Uh, why would he even mention that? And, and then, yeah, never mind. But way cooler to think about it from, as you're pointing out, like a more of a resurrection theme. Yeah. And he goes and meets this woman and her life has changed permanently from this encounter at a well. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the only, if not the only time, Yeshua meets someone at a well. Like, we don't, that doesn't show up very often in his accounts. Anyway, so I, I was able that was to kind of... tell her about the living water. Right. Yeah. 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 He's if, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask. She's like, "Show me where this well is." Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm ready. I'll never be thirsty Stop again. Stop yeah. Right. I was doing some Hebrew, just trying to pronounce it. Okay. And it turns out that Beer Lahai Roy, as we've heard in church, is actually Beer Lahai Roi. Right. I did not know that. It sounds cooler that way for some reason. I don't know why. Beer the High Roy sounds like one of the things your brother. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'll have two bottles of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, the High being life. Right, right. right. Um, so we, uh, is, uh, is that C? C. Yeah, yeah. overseer. So it's also the same, um, very similar to the same thing for shepherd. Yeah, so an overseer of life. Provider. Right, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to look at that one. Um, Hagar translates it something like, I have seen the one who lives, for I am still alive after having seen that one who sees. Um, she, but that's one of the things about names, oftentimes in Hebrew. It's not an exact word for word. The, the, they'll have like a phrase, and then it'll almost like get... Um, Truncated. Uh, yeah, almost like an acronym. acronym. So, is, it's almost like a, it's like a whole sentence. It's really only summarized in like three words. But yeah, yeah, good point. I thought that was too. I thought it was just um, Ephron is from Zachar. He's, he's, it's not Dohar. It's not his uh, right. his title there. So is that something to remember? 
The Zahet not a uh... No, Zahar means Oh, I was wondering about that. Thank you very much. Thank you, yeah. Mm. So, yeah I, I read that part. I was wish the Tanakh had an accent point there to let you know that's not a hey, it's a Because yeah. I read it, Zohar is like, oh, that's like mm. Zohar, the town that, that uh, oh, a right. lot fled. That's a Zohar. It's small, right? Small. Yeah. And you go to that place because it's small. Right. right. Whereas Zohar, you would say, had something about. Yeah. Now remind me again. So how do you spell Zakhar? Zakhar, it's normally in there. It was Z O H A R in the Tanakh. Right, but in the Hebrew here, it's not it's actually a tzadi, I believe, in this case. So it's actually oh. not so Zakhar. It's actually Sakhar. Oh, what, the T S. I don't know. Isn't that isn't that the sweetener? Uh, Sakhar. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure what that would translate to. Um. Almost. What verse is that? Uh, it's at the beginning. Yeah, it's in chapter 20. What is it, 23? 20. Well, how far are you going back? You're talking about Ephron the son of? I found it. I found it. Okay. Verse 8. Yeah, it's Zohar here. The Hebrew is... Um, it is Zadi Ket Bresh. And it means yellow or, or red. Did you say yellow? It means yellowish yellow? red. Yellowish red. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's a, uh, it's a color. It's brown. There we go. He's uh, Efron, <laughs> son of brown. Yeah. Efron Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Yellow and red would be orange. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. yeah, Yellowish red tawny is what it says. Maybe he has really red hair like Esau. But it is a, it is a side. Yeah. Kind of like carrot top. So yeah. It's, yeah. Car- <laughs> it's, it's a ginger, so but no, a carrot. Huh. Okay, well, cool. Learn a new Hebrew word today. Mm-hmm. I learned that the Mincha prayer service was established in Genesis 24, 63 through 25. You know, Abraham starts the Shacharit. Isaac has the uh, Mincha. And it's said that because it was not evening yet and it was in the field, that's because that's the afternoon prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's cool that um, Isaac is out praying when he comes back and, and meets his wife. When she uh, falls off her camel? She falls off her camel. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any. I was looking for that. Um, in fact, I made a you know, a little eyebrow raise to Alan when I was reading it to her this week. And I didn't read any of the, the gutnik that they mentioned about the falling off the camel. Rashi says that the translation, he, he, the word is nofel. It has to do with falling. Mm-hmm. But Rashi says that the way that it's phrased or spelled or something... Is more like the idea of like leaning, and he references a couple of places, um, like almost hitting the ground, but not quite. Like where the righteous man falls, but doesn't, oh, yeah. but rises again, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's the same words, so um, that's how they, they he saw that. So more like she was leaning forward to talk to. I still like the fall deal. I think I think that works too. Story. <laughs> well, and actually, we over that three four years ago, Jenna. Yeah, maybe we more. Were. Yeah, and actually, one of the things that's great about the Hebrew is. Um, Oftentimes is a little ambiguous, yeah. and uh, the sages will play with that ambiguity and run off with all sorts of cool like James, she lit off her camel. <laughs> 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 well, so when I so she lit off her camel, yeah. like, reading it, this, <laughs> reading it this time, I did have more of the impression that she was leaning forward to yeah. ask a question. Yeah. Um, like who is? Yeah. 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 All those that. muscles. Oh man, that's a that guy's seven feet tall. Well, I tell you why. Later on, right, we see that Jacob says, I know, you would have messed with me even more, but for the fear of my father, Isaac. Mm. He was a big dude. Big guy, yeah. She saw him from afar off because he was so big. Mm-hmm. William Wallace. Yeah. That's right, that's right. And look at the size of that guy's sword. Holy <laughs> cow. <laughs> seven foot and fair complexion. And I, um, I, I also like that, um, that she, that I like the fact that she, that, that leaning forward is another way to look at it. To me, it indicates a level of humility on the part of Rebecca, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She leans forward to kind of ask Eliezer a question from the camel. She's not up there. It's like, who is that man over there? Yeah. You know? yeah. And we see, as soon as she, she's, she's told who it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she's very you modest. Bet you bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to learn. Um, since I only have sons. I son. 
Um, you know, I can, I can, I don't really have the lesson to learn yet or apply. It's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. um, but the uh, uh, people with daughters, you know, these Becca is really like the ideal daughter here. You know, she's well, the, she's oh, hard working. Their whole relationship is. Um, she's uh, she's hard working. You know, she's she's modest. She's decisive. Kind. She's kind. Um, she's respectful, but she's determined. You know, she has a lot of these very good qualities, um, especially at this age. And you can, um, when I was uh, uh, old, uh, wish I was younger than I was. When I was getting older, um, my dad, would, before I was married, my dad would, would tell me, like, you know, that it's almost like you stress too much about trying to find the perfect woman. He's like, find the most godly woman you know and pick the prettiest one. Um, <laughs> I thought it really silly. He was right. Um, <laughs> well, listen, the Bible talks about her looks for a reason. Amen. But it also mentions other things I noticed in, the, in this passage, too. It says that um, it highlights like twice that she's a virgin, but like in different ways. Yeah. And the point that they're trying to get at is that she was particularly pure. Like, and I think that's really important because, you know, you live in a, a society. She wasn't just meeting the threshold of being a good woman in where she lived. She was above and beyond that. You know, I think about there's some questions about, well, you know, he was righteous in his generation. But, but um, in this case, Rebecca was um, better than the people around her. And I think that's really important, especially in the day we live in today, where it seems like, you know, you can have a woman who can seem rather modest by today's standards that still is not meeting the, <laughs> this, the threshold here from God's perspective, just simply because of, like, how low the standards are. Right, there's no standard at all. The, the, in uh, chapter 20, the last verse in chapter 24, verse 67, uh, Yitzhak brought her to the tent of his mother Sarah. He took Rivka. That's, this phrase, right from the Bible, is exactly where we have derived our wedding ceremony. Do you take mm -hmm. this woman to, right. you know, and that's, that's where this comes from. Um, but uh, if, if you've not had the opportunity to listen to the teaching that Robbie Zacharias does, I, Isaac, take thee, Rebecca, it'll change your life. Hmm. It, it's better if you're not married, but and it's probably good for you. It's probably really good for you, Joshua. But uh, um, even as, well, as a parent, you know, when you have daughters, um, and may there be many, uh, um, to go along with the many sons. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Godly number. I like it. Twelve princes. There it is. Um, when, when that comes, I mean, it, it's really such a wonderful perspective. Uh, he starts talking about his, his brother getting married, having never even seen or met oh, right. his, his intended bride. Approach. You know, and, and, and he's coming at it from a pretty Western mindset of, Suppose she looks like a cow, um. you know, and <laughs> yeah. she'd be a dude. Yeah, yeah, you know, and he's and his his brother is is really teaching him. It's like I'm choosing to love her. It's a choice, mm -hmm. and her looks, while pleasing at times, is not the fundamental. It's not the bottom line. It's who she is. It's how she acts, and it's the things that you just mentioned. You know? The fact that she, in this case, your wife and, and, and Rivka and all that are beautiful is just a, a wonderful added blessing. You right. know? And I think every guy in the community has that same blessing. It's one, thing for, it's one thing for a man to know that his wife is beautiful, as all men should. The issue here is it doesn't say Isaac found her beautiful. It's, mm -hmm. that it's, it's the, the Torah's telling us That's right. in generic terms, but through, through Eliezer's eyes. So yeah. it's that notion that Eliezer's been given a mm -hmm. very important task. Abraham has entrusted him to it, but Isaac has entrusted his father, right. and, and, mm -hmm. and through extension, Eliezer, that's right. Right. that it, you know, she's not going to look like a cow. Mm -hmm. That's right. right. <laughs> and, and Sarah is known so to be so beautiful, beautiful. that her husband's good concerned about getting shot. That's yeah. right. It's a good-looking family. What that's right. All the way across. <laughs> well, all of this combined... Because I think this is the first time that we see a husband and wife love one another. Love one another. That's true. That's true. That's true. And so that's significant that's itself. Ahava is the word for Isaac. He's love. But 25 years ago, we had a family that were originally from India that lived down the street, and their daughter Anne used to come babysit you guys occasionally. And their marriage was arranged. Mm -hmm. And she met him 
three days before they got it's married. Very sweet, very sweet. And they had grown up believers. They were believers all their lives. Their grandparents were believers for several generations. And so I was wondering one time, I said, what was that like? How, how did, you know, and she said, I trusted my parents. Mm-hmm. She said, I knew my parents loved me. I knew my parents wanted what was best for me. I knew my parents would not do anything to hurt me. And so when I met him, I knew that he would be what was best for me. Mm-hmm. And so That's faith. It is. That's mm-hmm. faith lived out, and it is God, a beautiful God. thing to see. And she said, you know, so I knew I could love this man, and I would grow to know him, I would love him more. And I, that just, that amazed me when she told me. I was like, well, wow. What's interesting in this passage, they go to Isaac love Rebecca. They say that the reason why he loved her was because of her good deeds. Um, and if you notice, with the exception of that one verse, I think, that mentions that she's very good looking, um, almost all of the rest of the yeah, script, it's about what she does. It's about what she does. Yeah. And, you know, Julianne and I, um, we, we, we got married and, and whatnot, we sometimes almost, almost laugh, and now we've, like, you know, come very decisive how we're going to raise Richard, you know, how he's supposed to be looking for a wife. And that, um, personality-wise, we're, like, completely incompatible. Like, like if you do the little personality tests and you, like, go on the Internet and see, like, can I marry this per-? No, we're a complete disaster, like the worst two pair you can have. Um, and, uh, but I think that, and, and on top of that, like, there are the worst part of it's you. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Smart man. Find it. We find the right. But that was my point, though. I said, really, at the end of the day, what we found is we found that we, we had the same values. We had the same goals. And that was all that mattered. All of the rest of it, the things that you're interested in, the things that you like, those things all change. Your personality changes. changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is constantly changing. And you feel you're 25 or 15 that you're, you're going to always be the same person you are then. And that's not true. And one of the things that sometimes undoes a marriage or a relationship is because people change. And so if you, one of the things that they point they out, or they don't want to change, one way or the other. Um, and in the relationship, uh, one of the things that they talk about love in the, in the Bible, the sages say that, um, uh, what's his name? Not Absalom, the other, the other son. Uh, no, 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 the, the one that's bad that Absalom kills. I can't recall his name right now. He has an a, 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 a inappropriate relationship mm-hmm. with uh, Ammon. Is it Ammon? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, and, and not Tamar, Tamar. but is it, uh, something uh, like that. Uh, with his sister? T- Timna? Something like that. Anyway, he, he <laughs> had, anyway, they say that his love for her was based on Beauty. a character trait. Right. So he, uh, as soon as, or based on something, based on something, you know, and as soon as that was gone, he no longer, he, he says he loved her, and then after that it says he hated her. Yeah, and, um, and they say that David and Jonathan's love was, was like, was real, a real, like, brotherly love relationship because it wasn't based on something specific. It was a choice to love each other as brothers under God, and so that, that um, therefore that relationship lasted forever. And like you're saying about the uh, mom, about the uh, the Indian couple, and like the mission of Rabbi Zacharias, that's really kind of what it was down to. And it's so fascinating to me, like when we're talking about it, Isaac doesn't has never met Rebecca before today, and this is the first time that we get husband and wife love. It's not Adam and Eve, although that relationship is beautiful. It's not even Abraham and Sarah. And we know that Eve was the most beautiful woman on the planet. Right, she was <laughs> by far. It wasn't even close. <laughs> In fact, he compared her to every other living being on the planet and decided she was the best. She's the top She's <laughs> better than an elephant. <laughs> but the point, the, point, the point to be, though, is I think that, you know, especially for young men who are single, um, who are wondering, you know, and you can kind of, not to, in some ways you can overthink it, and you can become too stressed at the end of the day. Everybody overthinks it. It's most important that the woman is godly. If that's taken care of, all that remains for you to do your job. I can tell you that one of the things that brings me great joy is knowing that my wife, my wife, never mind, sweetie, <laughs> is knowing that my daughter, your wife, she's <laughs> confused, loves you in an unbelievable way. You know, it's also pretty cool that I know you love her too, but Thank it makes a mom happy. It does. <laughs> it does. And I, I tell you what, uh, to see the two of you together is is a testimony. To me, it's a testimony. You know, that uh, makes me smile all the time. Amen. That's exactly right. And it's it's a cool deal. And, uh, I just think that, that God's orchestrated you leading the whole discussion. Um, 
to bring honor and glory to your marriage, which is really cool. But the ultimately, it's uh, ultimately it's honor and glory to our respective parents, and then obviously to God Hashem, mm. the, as the as the one who orchestrates it all and brings it together, and then helps us to, to be those people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, yes. Right. Uh, Dad, would you pray for us as we close? Father, we do thank you for Joshua and for Julianne. Thank you for the blessing that they have brought into our community, into our lives. We thank you for the love that they express to each other in a wonderful way. Father, we thank you that, most importantly, that they have expressed uh, your love for us in the way that they uh, live. Father, we thank you for the blessing that your word brings into our lives. We thank you for all of the things that we see in your scriptures. And Father, we ask that you uh, allow us to be challenged to be more like you. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen and Tamar. <laughs>